that is just a that's a silky smooth jam kevin morby city music i feel like you know what i should be doing right now is is just roller skating you know just flowing out there on the rink some jorts some jorts some cut off jeans you know uh, maybe a fringe tank i've lost my mind i've just i'm sorry guys i've completely lost my mind <laughs> oh but that's a good that's good you know i really like that music hey remember limewire i gotta tell you guys this story before we get into this episode, and I'm gonna do this quick, all right? But this is this, this is a real life story, all right? A real this is a struggle well story before there was struggle well, all right? This is just a stupid struggle, is what it was. So I'm in college, uh, early you know mid 2000s, and uh, LimeWire's hot, right? You guys get any song you want, dude? You just put it on your computer, blah blah blah, right? So it's sweep, sweeping across the dorm rooms across the United States and uh, my, my roommate that we're going to remain unnamed because he has a good family, he's got a good career and uh, you don't need to know who it is, it's, it's irrelevant, okay? So he, you know, we're just, we're, we're burning up the line wire. He, well, it's in his name, right? And, uh, but I'm like, hey, you find this song. I heard it and then he, and he finds it. And we listen to it, we're jamming out and it's a good time. Well, you know, we were good. We were good kids, good citizens in the dorm. And, uh, you know, aside from the occasional RA check-in, and one time uh, uh, the RA came in after a, a, a Halloween costume uh, faux pas, and I had purchased an axe because I was the brownie paper towel man, and apparently it's frowned upon to keep a large axe in your, in your, um, in your dorm. But I, I digress. So we're, we, we're law-abiding citizens for the most part. Well, we get a summons in our little lock and key mailbox that says, you need to go see the dean. And uh, my buddy, my roommate, he starts freaking out. And I'm like, will you relax? We were probably just too loud one night. You know, I had the axe. It's probably something like that. It's not that big of a deal. Okay, calm down. And uh, so we get in there, and it was literally like a movie. He spins around in a chair, and uh, he says, you guys are being sued by Sony Records. My buddy looks at me. He's like, he goes, actually, not you, Luke. It's just him because the LimeWire account is in his name. And he looks at me and he goes, worst thing imaginable. And uh, we get up and we walk out and he has a nervous breakdown in the student center. And I'm like, we relax. It's going to be fine. So he contacts Sony Records. And they're like, you owe us $12,000 for all the songs that you stole, pirated, which now is known as Spotify. And you can just do that. Right? Nobody makes any money on making music. That's why they got to perform all these shows. But that's a whole other story. So uh, he, he's like, you can settle right now for five grand. And my poor buddy, he goes, okay. And it turns out they sent that letter to every dorm room in America that was on the same internet network. And they couldn't prove who was what. And everybody else just ignored it and had no problem whatsoever. But not my poor buddy. He settled up with a major record label for all of the music he had listened to on LimeWire. So then he has to go get a summer job. It doesn't start here. It doesn't stop here, folks. It doesn't stop here. He has to go get a summer job, and uh, he goes to Home Depot to pay off this debt he owes to Sony And he goes in to work one day, he just starts out, he sees this man sprinting at him as he's walking into the entrance, and there's this old lady behind him that's pointing at him, like, get him, get him. And so, uh, you know, fight or flight hits 
his adrenal system, and he and what does he do? My man suplexes the 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 thief in his eyes, right? Slams him, flips him over on his back, holds him there till the authorities take, and they haul him away, and he's a hero. Right, so the next day he walks in, big puffed out chest, feels great about himself, you know, he's, a, he's gone above and beyond the, the smock, I believe that's what they call, they wear there at the depot, and uh, they call him in the break room or the office or whatever, it's usually a disgusting place, it smells like burned popcorn and hot dogs that the people go in there and be sad for 30 minutes in between getting yelled at about lumber, and they go in there and they go, buddy, we gotta, we gotta let you go. And he goes, what are you talking about? You know, he thought he was about to get like a Home Depot ribbon for courage or something. And no, no, sir, he, he's being fired. And he goes, well, that guy that you body slammed uh, was trying to get to the hospital because his wife just went into labor. And then, because you said you tackled him because he was stealing something, and the police questioned him, he missed the birth of his firstborn child. And uh, so they fired him. Well, that was like the first week of the summer that he was home from college, and uh, but then he didn't want to tell his parents because he was already way behind the eight ball for getting sued by Sony Records. So he uh, he uh, fakes going to work for eight hours a day for the entire summer. Worst summer ever. Just ridiculous. So, and if you know that guy, and uh, we love you, buddy. Uh, it's just that story's not surprising, but it's one of my favorite stories of all time. And I had to tell you that, and that's how I had to open up today's podcast. But here's the, now let's get to business. All right, today's uh, guest on the Manchild Podcast is Dustin Myers. Who is Dustin Myers? He is a strength and conditioning coach. He is the director of strength and conditioning at the Ohio Regional Training Center. What does that mean? Here's the deal. Right. In the sport of wrestling, not big time wrestling, not Monday Night Raw, okay? All right, not Captain Insano and The Undertaker, right? But real guys, Olympians, all right? Collegiate wrestlers in the Big Ten and the Big 12, you know, at the highest, highest level, tough, tough dudes. What do these guys do when they're done wrestling in college? They go to these regional training centers to prepare to qualify for the Olympics. If they want to make the crossover to the MMA, these places are vital to some of the sports best. And Dustin gets those guys prepared. Um, a tremendous amount of respect for the sport of wrestling. All right. Now, as an athlete, please stop laughing. All right. As a former athlete, Okay, I played. I, I'm not an athlete. Okay, but I regret not have wrestled, having wrestled in high school. Uh, the deal breaker for me was the singlets. Okay, and I know that you get to wear like the board shorts and roll around like Joe Rogan nowadays, but I didn't know that, and it wasn't like that at the time. And so, but the guys that I've come in contact with now as a strength coach in college football is the guys that have a wrestling background. They're just better movers and they're tougher kids and they know how to be uncomfortable for longer periods of time. And we talk about all the time what an important skill that is. And so we dig into what is what exactly is mental toughness? How do we instill it in our kids? How do we do it the right way without making our kids hate us or hate the sport we're trying to introduce them to? How do they find their own way and to still be resilient? And how do we hold them accountable? There is a sweet spot to it. 
and Dustin is well on his way to mapping that out for us. Um, he's got some, uh, some tremendous programming he does. You can follow him on all the social media platforms. You can purchase some of the work that he does. Uh, it's, it, was a, it was a great conversation about how to coach, how to parent, and how to hold ourselves accountable if we're, uh, you know, maybe we're getting a little sloppy and uh, we, need to, we need to get ourselves straight. Part of, part of this big-time living experience is not being a big, fat slob, right? So uh, without further ado, which is a weird thing to say, uh, let's get right into this episode with Coach Dustin Myers. Here we go. What you know about me? All right, welcome back or welcome to the Man Child Podcast, the podcast about struggling on purpose. What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you do it with if you were not afraid and you came to terms with this is going to be really hard and let's go do it anyway and right up that alley, no stranger to struggle is Coach Dustin Myers. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, you know, thanks, thanks for having me on. And already, right out of the bat, just you know, with your intro, you got me a little bit fired up. I mean, I have a saying that I always say to my athletes, and that is, "Struggle builds strength." You know, there's really no, um, you know, whether we're talking about the weight room or the the practice field or the practice room or even just everyday life, there's really no situation that you get into where if there, if you face some struggle and you can overcome it, that's going to make you stronger in some sense. Whether we're talking physical strength, mental strength, whatever. So that's kind of one of my, you know kind of one of my mottos that I always use in the gym is struggle builds strength and we shouldn't, uh, you know, we shouldn't shy away from it. Well, then, so let's go right into that. We, <laughs> we all want to though, you know, I, why are we, I mean, we make some very elaborate deals with ourselves to mm-hmm. excuse, to justify why we, sh- we don't deserve to have to struggle like this. It sh- we shouldn't have to be this hard. If it was this hard, it doesn't. It means I'm not good at this. The, our whole viewpoint of what talent is, talent should mean it just comes easy to me. And uh, so I, I, I'm curious as to how you convey that message. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to get the people you're working with to believe that they need struggle. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, I guess that's the tough part is getting them to believe right off the bat. I think, you know, as as human beings, our first and foremost instinct is to survive, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, as a survival mechanism, we seek comfort because, you know, discomfort, you know, drives us in one way or another, you know, towards a feeling of our, you know, our own mortality. You know, I always, you know, I used to tell people when I would go on like hard, long runs that I... Now, I know this sounds kind of like hyperbole because obviously I don't ever want to die in a run. I mean, that would be ridiculous. But I would convince myself if I'm running up this long hill that I would rather die than quit before I get to the top of it. And it's just like these little mental games you have to play with yourself. How do you convince yourself that you would rather do that? I don't know. I mean, that is the tough part. I mean, I've been training the way that I trained for so long that I don't really have to trick myself anymore. But I remember I used to use – little tricks. I mean, to use the hill sprint for an an example, you know, I can remember, uh, you know, when my kids were very young, I would tell myself, 
when that voice comes in that tells me, you know, because my, my lungs are burning, my legs are heavy, you know, my body's instinct is now preservation. It wants to slow down. So I would tell myself, Hey, that there's, you know, there's some type of emergency at the top of the hill. My, my children are in danger. I need to, I need to check on them. I need to find out what's wrong. And even though that sounds ridiculous, it's, I would be able to trick myself into maintaining the same amount of output rather yeah. than giving into that voice in my head that is telling me to slow down. Cause really it's all just a matter of what voice is going to win. Is it the voice that tricks you into keep going or is it the voice that tricks you into slowing down? We all have those voices in our head and it's just a matter of which one is going to be stronger. Which one are you going to listen to? Cause the body is capable of such amazing things and we're really, I, I think even as humans, we don't even know what the true limits of our body are, what our bodies are, you know, because our, our mind will stop before the body will, you know, the body's a big dumb machine mm-hmm. and it will essentially do whatever the mind tells it to. So if you don't have that strong voice that can overpower that weak voice that it, the, the, trust me, it exists within all of us, whether we're talking about me or, you know, the Olympians and NCAA champions that I've trained, they all have that voice in them. It's just that their strong voice it's louder it's, and they know which one to listen to. It's completely uh, exists. There's, there's, I mean, I'm sure you are already aware, but I, I love to discuss it with people that, because I think uh, the worst battle you can be in is one you don't know you're in. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, and so there's so many people they get, they get all motivated, right? Just the, the general population guy uh, wants to get fit. He doesn't want to be a big fat turd. And or or we'll have linemen that are finally the light bulb goes off and it's their senior year and they think they're going to get drafted. Coach, I really want to get in shape right now. I was like, well, you know, I'm really glad you had some rest and you're all motivated. But that is going to exhaust itself. It's going to go away. And then you're going to be left with these these habits that you've created that you're going to you're going to fall back to. And but the the Daniel Kahneman. Uh, theory of system one, system two, or in our brain, and then other people call it the the amygdala, the animal part of our brain that's all about survival. But we're we, you know we're at a a state in our society where we play these highly highly competitive sports that are in direct opposition to our own human nature. Right. You, you have to right. you have to deny this this human na- natural impulse to to back off for the state of preservation in order to win, to compete. Uh, and I think a lot of times kids just don't even understand that that's what's going on. And it just gets the, the whole mess gets way more reinforced when you have a coach that is not informed that that's what's actually taking place and you just say oh you know and then we say it that's who that person is right like oh he's a tough kid and that kid's soft right I'm like well that tough right. kid has a moment where whatever it is he'll have his soft moment and that soft kid has a, something that he's probably tougher than him about and so I, I i just i'm infatuated with how to educate coaches and athletes to understand their own psyche of what's going on yeah i think um i mean for myself you know i mean there's a lot of information to digest there um and i you know you definitely hit the nail on the head that it's hard to win a battle that you don't know you're in if you don't know you're fighting a battle then how can you win it right so when a kid feels that urge to slow down or to you know that 
they they're given they give into that feeling of fatigue. It's because they don't really. I think a lot of maybe athletes, especially younger athletes, they don't understand yet that they have a choice. They just think, okay, I have to slow down because this is uncomfortable. I have to stop. I have to take a break. I can't do more because it's uncomfortable. But once you begin to realize that you actually have a choice, you know, you have control over the effort you put in, then it it kind of becomes an easier battle to win because you know that you're in that battle. Um, so I think for me as a coach, the way that I've been able to – I think correctly convey that to my athletes is number one. Um, you know, I, I lead by example. I, whenever I can, I train with the athletes, you know, and I've been, you know, lucky enough to train some really elite wrestlers over the year, over the years, you know, and like I said, NCAA champions, you know, from, you know, Logan, Logan Steber and, you know, Miles Martin and, you know, four-time all Americans like Colin Moore, Olympic champions like Kyle Snyder and, I will go, you know, I'll lift with them rep for rep. When we go to the stadium, we go to the horseshoe, I'll run the, the, the stadium with them. And I think just for, you know, me being a 40-year-old man and, and, you know, also too, I always have to preface it with this. I'm not an elite athlete. You know, I was a very average high school athlete at best. And I'm not, you know, if you saw my weight room numbers, it's nothing impressive. Like, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm stronger than the average guy, but in the weightlifting world, you know, it's nothing special. So, the fact that I'm willing to go in there, I'm willing to battle with them. I'm ready, willing to run step for step with them. I think it helps that it helps kind of convince them to buy into doing things my way. And I think to show them like, Hey, if, if coach can still do it, then we need to do it too. We need to think the way that he's thinking, you know? So that's kind of always been the cornerstone of my training is to lead by example. And I know, you know, some coaches feel that way. Some coaches don't, don't necessarily prioritize that. or think that it's important, but, um, I just feel like it gives you a different connection to the athletes. I think when they see that you're willing to kind of put it on the line and grind there with them, they have a different respect, you know, for what I'm trying to teach and what I'm trying to show. Um, and I, I don't know if it would come quite across the same way if I wasn't willing to lead by example and do it the same way with them. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, just to, you know, you put yourself in that environment and you're like, okay, like, you know, he's obviously proving to me in real time that this is possible. That's, uh, that's very, it's a powerful tool to use. And, uh, I mean, and you've paid the dues it takes to be able to keep up with guys that you just mentioned previously. I mean, it's no easy task. I mean, every coach wants to be able to see, look at me, but well, man, hold up, hold the phone. Right. Uh, but I, I think take me through with the, wrestling culture how does it line up um as, as far as in youth sports and then it and then it prepares them for for high school and then into college what in in regards to like basketball or baseball and the aau and the travel mm -hmm. leagues and all of that where is baseball on that or where is wrestling on that spectrum so with wrestling, I mean, most elite wrestlers start at a really early age and it's very competition heavy, you know, year round. They have freestyle season in the spring. Um, you know, a lot of wrestlers, even when they're still at the youth level, you know, in grade school, they're traveling. I mean, I, I, I train a lot of my gym that I own in Pataskala, the old school gym. I train a lot of like kind of elite, you know, youth and middle school and high school wrestlers as well. In addition to the you know college guys that I train down at the regional training center. So my you know, elite, let's say junior high guys that are nationally ranked. I mean, they wrestle year round. They have a club coach. They will go to, you know, competitions that, you know, they'll go to freestyle competitions at Fargo, North Dakota. 
They go to, you know, Virginia Beach. They go to Disney for duels. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. It's, it's crazy how much these kids compete year-round. And I think probably, you know, for anyone out there that's not involved with wrestling, they're probably at least, you know, familiar with the part of the culture is that, you know, you have to cut weight or you have to lose weight. And it's always been a part of the sport. It's probably always going to be a, a big part of the sport. But I think, you know, since I've become – you know, more visible in the sport through social media and through my work at Ohio state with the athletes there, I've been trying to change the narrative from, you know, every year cut weight, get to the lowest weight class possible. So you'll be the big guy. I've been trying to reshape that narrative into let's eat, let's grow, let's get really strong. Let's move up, not cut a ton of weight. So we can actually spend the wrestling season concentrating on wrestling, getting better at wrestling, continuing to lift heavy and stay strong versus kind of the old way of thinking was even if you lifted heavy, you know, in the off season, then once the season came, all they would do is, you know, they would still bike and run. But, you know, when it came to lifting, it was just like circuit training and endurance stuff and really just breaking the body down further. And then they lose all that strength they built in the off season. Whereas with my athletes, I encourage them, let's, let's lift, let's get bigger, let's get stronger. You know, one of the years, I can't remember those 2016 or 2017, you know, when I was, um, you know, also serving as the head strength coach for Ohio State for the college team, we had, and we were NCAA runners up that year. We won the Big Ten, and five out of our ten starters on the college team were at a weight class higher than the weight class they were recruited for. And at the college level, you never see that yeah, because guys get recruited of. for what's that? That's that's unheard of. I've, that's seen, unheard of. Yeah. Exactly. You know, people at the college level, there's only 10 weight classes. And when you get recruited for a spot, it's generally like, that's your spot for the next four years. And most of the time, by that time, you know, guys are done growing their you know, the bodies are mature. And then it's a matter of trying to maintain and not go more than 10 or 15 pounds over so they can make that weight. Well, we had five starters that were up at least one weight class from the weight class they'd been recruited at. You know, we were generally, you know, looked at in the wrestling world as, the strongest team in the country, you know, physically and looks wise, you know, people were saying people were on message boards on flow wrestling and stuff saying, are the Buckeyes on, on, they must be on steroids. And, you know, I saw that and would just laugh and I, I took it as a compliment. I'm like, you know, I like that people are saying that because we've changed the perception of lose, lose all this weight, lose your strength, just kill yourself with circuit training. My guys were still, you know, pulling heavy doubles and singles all throughout um, all throughout the season, you're on the, on the big three lifts, you know, and we would still do lots of conditioning work, but you know, we're doing conditioning on the aerodynes, conditioning on the sleds, you know, we're using rope climbs and pull-ups and stuff as conditioning, but our main lifts were still used for what they should be used for. And that's strength and power development. Well, I, there's a, there's a, um, yeah, a, a total misconception with, I never understood the whole maintenance phase. And when I, I worked for, I was an assistant. I worked for uh, the the head strength coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, Chip Morton, and he goes, especially in the NFL, he's, mm-hmm. you know, the your your in season program is your program because with the with the off season in the NFL with the collective bargaining agreement NFLPA, they're not there a whole lot, right? So right. the only time you get this huge chunk of training time is the 16, 17 week block of the in season cycle if we just go into just oh you know come in here and make yourself feel better like you are slowly just 
deteriorating, decaying your body until you're a shell of yourself by December, January, and come playoff time. I imagine it's it's very similar in the wrestling world to do the same thing to your body. Well, and you know what happens then? It opens you up for injury. You know, if you're if you suddenly are becoming detrained and weaker, you're going to be more likely to be injured. Now, in the season for wrestling, it is a little bit different. I mean, we obviously we always want to try to get stronger, but at some point within the grind of the wrestling season, if they're making weight twice a week, and, and it, you know, even though I talk about not cutting weight at the college level, everyone has to cut a little bit of weight, whether it's one or two pounds or ten pounds. Most of those guys have to cut a little bit of weight. So when they're doing that on a weekly basis and maintaining a very low body weight or uh, body fat percentage, there does become a time where it is kind of strength and power maintenance. But even if, if we can still continue to lift heavy and try to maintain our muscle mass and maintain as much of our strength as possible rather than going in reverse, then we're still kind of ahead of the pack. Because when you're keeping your body fat at 8 to 9% and having to you know, dehydrate slightly each week, you know, you might only get to really lift heavy on your compound lifts once a week. And at that point, you know, we're probably um, we're probably looking at really trying to maintain our strength. Our other lift for that week might be more of a kind of a conditioning style workout where we're doing, you know, sleds and rope climbs and things like that. So um, it but I think, you know, for football players where you don't have to make a weight every week, they can eat as much as they want to be able to recover from their workouts. Yeah, they should still be trying to get stronger and faster during the football season. Absolutely. Where do you, where are you on the, um, you know, in the football realm of things, we get a lot of kids that come in that are, that are really good players uh, and they're horrendous movers uh, because really the only thing that they do is either play football a hundred miles an hour or they're horizontal on the couch playing PlayStation. And there's nothing in between that just these general human concepts of moving mm-hmm. uh, are foreign to them. Just th- you're teaching them how to land after jumping. You're teaching them how to throw their hands and hips when they do a broad jump. They don't know how to crawl. They can't hardly do a push-up. But they're three, four, five-star kids that – they're they're so dysfunctional because they're just really good at this very specific thing, but generally they're a mess. Is it like right. in wrestling? Um, well, you see a couple different things. Now, I think in general, most of the kids I deal with at the elite level, you know, once they get to college for wrestling, most of them can move pretty well just because wrestling, there's so many variables to the type of movements you're doing. You're not just, you know, right. kind of running in yes. straight lines and making cuts and stuff like that. So a lot of them I would be able to say they, they are more apt to be able to do kind of gymnastic type movements. You know, a lot of my guys, when they come in, even if they've never done it, they have the strength to do, you know, muscle ups and crazy jumps and they can do flips and stuff like that. So athletically, um, I think just because the type of sport wrestling is they're able to move pretty well. But what I do see is their bodies have become specialized to wrestling where they can't hold anything overhead, you know, over head stuff is very hard for them because you think of wrestling, everything is very, your shoulders are rolled forward. You're down in your stance. Your back is hunched over. That's where they become specialized at in a, in a, you know, in a, uh, in a unilateral stance, one leg's in front of the other. So their hips become shifted one way. So usually what I'm dealing with more than movement dysfunction is strength imbalances, you know, um, 
And when you think about wrestling, you know, typically you'll see shoulder injuries, you'll see knee, knee injuries. Those shoulder injuries happen when they're extended on a shot. Their arms are stretched out because they're not strong. Their lats don't know how to stabilize in that position because they don't ever really get in that position. So we do a lot of, you know, overhead carries, uh, you know, farmers carries, things like that to try to help kind of correct some of those uh, imbalances and kind of weaknesses with holding stuff overhead. Um, and then as far as what I, I'll see a lot whenever we do, you know, bilateral movements, you know, we do a lot of sumo deadlifting, but I don't see it as much there. But when we try to back squat, their hips will want to twist at the bottom because they'll kind of go towards their strong side. So once, you know, we'll use back squat in the off season, but when we get into the season, our main squat movement will be, you know, different, you know, split squat movements and things like that. And we try to try to utilize a lot of, you know, anti-rotational stuff for the core to kind of try to help correct some of those imbalances that, so that's probably what I see more, more so than movement dysfunction. Um, that also might be kind of a, a symptom of to a lot of, kids that are very elite in wrestling they've had to also really work very hard at building themselves into athletes whereas i think a lot of times when you see kids at the d1 level that are freaks in football many of them and i'm not saying that some of them didn't work very hard to get to that level but a lot of them are actually just very high level athletes to begin with and maybe they didn't develop that athleticism in the weight room oh, if we, that makes sense no we say that all the time we're like god got you here like you've done nothing <laughs> right. yourself up to this point to get you here because you were just a foot taller, you were five tenths of a second faster, and you just beat everybody up. Of course, you're the best player in high school, but what now, right? And so right. You, you don't have, and, and, and I really want to get into that later on with your this, this whole gut check thing and and the and the just the essential need to do things that are difficult and what it does to our brain, but. Back that up. Where are you with the the wrestling parent? The the just unbelievable amount of tournaments throughout the year. The the nonstop travel. The the just exhaustive and their their children. Their their little kids. Uh, well, where are you on that? So I mean, I. I can give you a pretty good perspective on this because my son's eight years old and he actually just wrestled this year for the first year. And what I said from the beginning was, Hey, we're not even going to wrestle any matches. We're just going to go to practice. We're going to have fun. We're going to get a feel for the sport and that's it. And, you know, he went and, you know, I've been doing a lot of strength training with my son ever since he was four. We pushed sleds. We, I got pull-up bars. I built in my yard. I mean, we're always working out. And, um, I mean, it's funny. He actually has, he keeps a spreadsheet now and he writes our workouts up for us. So I have a workout program tonight and then we have a 10 mile bike ride that he has programmed in there. So anyway, he's been working out for a long time. This was his first year wrestling and, you know, he picked it up pretty quick. And so I was like, all right, we'll go get some matches and stuff. And we didn't go to any tournaments. We just went to the dual meets and got some kind of what they call extra matches, you know, against, you know, some of the reserves from the other youth teams and stuff. And, you know, by the end of the season, he's beaten pretty handily the kid who's the you know starter in his weight class. By saying, hey, "Man, we're not even going to wrestle off. We want to just, we just want to have fun with it." Yeah. You know, so that's what I did. And you know, this year, and of course, you know, people, you know, there's other parents on the team that are taking their their eight year old to tournaments every single weekend and stuff. And I just, you know, what I'm, I'm not doing it. You know, and even when he's 10, 11, 12, he sticks with it. I mean, we're not going to spend our entire life in in gymnasiums wrestling. I just don't believe in it. So. I've seen both sides of it. I've seen kids that have come through 
the D1 level at Ohio State that their parents were maniacs and they wrestled year round and they, you know, their childhood revolved around wrestling. But I think for every kid I've seen like that, there's a thousand kids that I haven't met that got burned out. They quit wrestling. They hate their parents. They hate working out. And who knows what they're doing now. So I think those kids that actually make it to the next level on that type of grind are few and far in between. I've actually seen quite a few kids, um, you know, Reese Humphrey, one of my athletes that's, uh, he actually just got named USA Wrestling Coach of the Year. He's the the head RTC coach in New Jersey now. And he made three world teams when I was training him here at Ohio State. You know, he was an All-American at Ohio State back in the day, blah, blah, blah. So very elite guy. His dad coached two Olympic teams. His dad's in the Ohio State, you know, wrestling uh, athletics hall of fame. But he didn't even know that his dad was a wrestling coach until he was in seventh grade. He had no idea. His dad never pushed him towards it. And then finally, he kind of once he kind of found it on his own, he's like, okay, we'll start doing this now. So I want to be that type of dad and yeah, I don't you know, have any type of, you know, fantasy of all. Oh, I want my kid to wrestle for a high state someday or this or that. I, I just want him to, to like it and to enjoy training. And Hey, if he becomes good at it, then that's a bonus. So I think, you know, having the right balance is key. I think you want to make sure that your kid, whether you're talking about football or, or wrestling or whatever, that if your kid's really into it, that they're into it for themselves, not because you want them to be in, cause you're yeah. trying to live through them. Mm-hmm. I think that's the absolute worst thing. Cause at the end of the day, I want my kid to enjoy hanging out with me, you know, working. I hope he always wants to work out with me because that's been something we've done for a long time now. But I want, you know, our relationship to come first, not, you know, him as a wrestler and me trying to, you know, have him become some great wrestler because I never was a great wrestler myself, you know. Well, I there's a sweet spot and I've yet to I'm not there. <laughs> like, how, <laughs> you, you know, it's to to make this to facilitate this 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 arena that is fun and it's and it's it's led by the kid it's led by my son or my daughter and and they're kind of playing around in this space and it goes and and i just kind of hey i lead them through a little bit of guided discovery hey see if you can you know walk over there on your hands and feet you know and but you uh, the same part of me wants i don't ever want them to quit something because it gets hard but I don't want to be a psychopath that's screaming at them. You know, it's just you, you get into that and it's a hold. I've learned a whole different thing. I can coach a kid all day long and have all the patience in the world with a kid that's not my own. And then he's right. your own flesh and blood. And you just you can't hardly stand the fact when he wants to give up or something. But like if you if you make him hate it, you're going to push him away. And if you if you let him get away with given in to something that was difficult you're creating a monster as well and there's a sweet spot there that's really hard to navigate through as a dad for me anyway no it, it is it's very tough and you know i i think you gotta try to you gotta try to pick your battles i mean at least when they're young i think it's a little bit different you know if your kids you know 16 17 years old and they want to quit then maybe by that time you know maybe i'll view things a little bit differently but like you know right now if I ask, you know, if I ask my son, hey, we're going to work out today. And if he says no, and I can just tell he really doesn't want to, then I don't push the issue. Right. But, hey, you know, the other day we're doing a workout that he wrote up and we're we're four rounds into this little circuit. And he had wrote that we're doing five. and We got to the fifth round. He said, all right, I think I want to be done now. I said, hey, man, I said, you're the one that wrote the workout. You said five rounds. Yes. We, we committed to it. We got to do five rounds. And he thought about it for a second. He said, OK, you're right. And then we did it. So well, I, I, I think there's great. Yeah, there's a that that's strong right there is if he doesn't like every year, you know, year two, if, if and we didn't have baseball right now because of everything going on. But, you know, I say, hey, do you 
do you want to play baseball? Right, but it's mm-hmm. like I'm not going to make you play baseball if you don't want to play. That's ridiculous. But if we're gonna, if we show up to practice, we're not going to leave practice early because you're not into it today. Right, right. There, there is a difference there. No, I agree. So I think it's just a matter of kind of picking your battles. And I mean, I'll, I'll give you another example. You know, there's a, a friend of mine from the gym. He brought his son out for wrestling this year. I think his son was five. He had just turned five. And this is my son's first year, and he's eight. And I and I kind of told him, I said, hey, man, I think he's probably a little bit too young. But this guy, he never wrestled before, so he doesn't really understand the sport. And, you know, he's taking his kid – because really at that age, they can't they can't focus during a practice for an hour. And, you know, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. And, you know, so he he's telling me, he's like, oh, you know, sure enough, the first week I already heard him. He's asking the, the coaches about wrestle-offs and all something. And, man, like you're already – think you're already fo- – you're already – putting too much pressure on this kid your kids just turned five years old Good. and then sure enough you know he's like hey you you taking you taking jack to the first tournament this way i said nah man i said we're it's our first year we're not gonna do any tournament so he takes his kid to the first tournament and his kid you know has two matches gets his ass whooped cries both matches <laughs> and then after that the kid doesn't want to go to practice so he takes him to like two more practices and the kid's crying the whole time blah 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 and then i yeah. You know, I end up not seeing him there for a week or so, and I end up running into him at the, at the grocery store or something. He's like, yeah, man, you know, he's like, I, he was crying before we go and just didn't want to go. I said, man, I told you, he was too young. He said, yeah, I think I'm just going to hold him out, maybe wait for another year or two. He's like, but my, he's like, you know, my brother-in-law is giving me all this shit because I, you know, I let him quit. I said, hey, man, I said, you, you can't just make the kid do it and make him be miserable. Oh, it was, a, you know, you tried it. You pushed a little bit too hard. It was a mistake. You know, don't don't make the kids stick it out just to stick it out. So, hey, if your kid's crying every day before practice, then it's not for them, right. you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, I, I, I don't know where you guys are in, in training wrestlers with uh, the arrival and then the – um, to- the reliance or just total dependency on like – um, technology in training and I, I got a real issue with it and I'm on the outside looking in when it comes to that but just GPS is especially at the larger institutions and uh, all, all of these this, these metrics everybody loves to talk about data and metrics and all these sorts of things and then to the point where there I, I run into some strength coaches and they just go yeah if he's you know if he's not ready for that that day then we just shut it down or we back it off and I'm like well I know kids and may you know unless you've just got angels in your program that they're gonna they know when to say the right things to make you back stuff off like yep <laughs> some, some days you're just gonna have a bad day and you're gonna have to deal with that and that's gonna be okay and you'll be fine but it's almost like we use these techno this 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 technology to excuse uh, being non-confrontational with kids that we otherwise probably should be. And I can't live with myself coaching a kid and, and knowing I, I let him be a discounted version of himself and not confront that in him because I can blame some number that says, well, he should just have a recovery day or whatever. I, I'd like to get your take on that. Well, you know, first of all, I do think that there is value to some of that 
the data and the, the metrics and tracking a lot of stuff. I don't personally do it. I mean, we have a, a sport performance guy at Ohio State that's real big on that stuff, and he tracks everything for you know for the uh, for the college coaches and stuff. I've never been what I would call a quote unquote science guy or a data guy. I'm more of an effort guy. I like to you know pass the look test. I can see when I'm running sprints with my athletes who's giving their all, who's kind of gave up early, who's just trying to get through it. I don't need to look at their heart rate monitors to see who is in the red zone. You know what I mean? So um, now that's not to say that stuff doesn't have value. And I do believe recovery is important. And, you know, I always tell my athletes to listen to their body and, Hey, if we get into a workout and, you know, someone, you know, we're pulling heavy that day and someone's saying, Oh man, my back just really hurts. My hamstrings feel tight. And I'd say, Hey, you know, I'll give you something different to do. Or, you know, if, if you'd, you know, I don't, I don't want to push them to injury. So if their body's telling them something, if the alarm bells are going off, then I'll gladly give them something else. But I always look at it too. It's like, Hey, well, if you're not feeling recovered enough to train today, did you stay up late? Were you playing Xbox all night? Did you sleep over at your girlfriend's last night? Like, why are you not feeling recovered? And a lot of times it isn't so much that they're just, you know, that the workout's too hard or the volume of training is too high. It's that they're not holding up stuff on their end. They're not drinking enough water. They're not eating the foods they're supposed to eat. They're not going to bed at a certain time. No, they're over, they're staying in their girlfriend's dorm and they're up, you know, up till three in the morning. And I get it. You know, I was a college kid once too, but you know, if you want to be a D1 athlete, you got to have a different level of commitment. So I think that, you know, the metrics are important. I think it's interesting, but that's not really my jam. That's not the way I approach things. I just always, you know, when I hear someone complain about, oh, we're going to, you know, today's our aerobic base day and we got to run five miles and my legs are so tired. I say, you know, that there's, there's women on the planet that train for 100 mile races. And, you know, there's a, even the ultra marathoners that do the extreme ones that they run 100 mile races through death Valley. And you're complaining about a five mile run today, you know? So I think when you got to put things in perspective, our body is capable of a lot more than what we realize. And when you, you know, think back to what we talked about earlier about that battle of the, you know, the self-preservation versus the, you know, toughness, you just got to decide which voice you're going to let win. And in the long run, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of elite athletes over the years and the ones I've known that have achieved great things, they've always been willing to put themselves in an uncomfortable position day after day. And they're not afraid of that. So how would you, I'm very, I'm always curious to how do we create, uh, the environment that gives this kid the highest percentage chance that he's going to listen to the right voice, right? Like let's do all the stuff on the front end. Let's, let's set the stage that we, the, the drama here is it's going to be hard and we want it to be, and it's going to be appropriately difficult and, and, and taxing on them to where we want that, that trigger in their brain to take place. And then we want them to make the right choice. Do you have any kind of, um, staging or ideas or things like that to where, like, what is the long game of training a human being that's not real good at listening to the right voice and shifting that into the right voice? oh man well i i think you know kind of going back to what i said before you know my my trick that i do is i i do it with them so that's i lead by example i tap into their competitive spirit in a way you know most kids if they're you know if they're elite athletes at you know at an elite level at the d1 level or even my kids that are high school athletes that are good you know they 
they have a competitive nature to them. So there's a, there's gotta be a way you get them to compete with each other and a way that I get them to compete with me. That is done in a right way that motivates them as opposed to maybe discouraging the ones who aren't at the top of the heap, you know? So it's kind of a fine balance. I mean, so that's, that's probably the best advice I can give you is find ways to make it competitive. I mean, you can't make everything in the weight room or on the track. You can't make everything a contest because that gets old real quick. Right. And then people just kind of settle into their roles of like, well, you know, I'm the, I'm the seventh fastest one and that's is what it is, you know? <laughs> so right. I guess you, you just got to find ways to bring out their competitive spirit and get them to kind of commit to trying to be a better version of themselves. And then when, when you get the desired behavior, when they have that big breakthrough, um, what's, what's the feedback you're giving them? Are you, are you showing them that? Are you kind of, uh, my, my whole thing was like, I want to, uh, speak directly into the language that they receive appreciation as soon as they give that behavior that they didn't want to give at first. Right. So it's, mm -hmm. what, what is it? Is it, if they're affirmation kids and it's, and they're that a boys or they're, you know, obviously appropriately and not being a weirdo, but like if they're physical touch, you, you, you grab their arm, you hold it over their head and you flood them with endorphins so that they, <laughs> they, they tie that feeling with that experience. And then they want to replicate that over and over and over. Well, I think, you know, number one, and, you know, kind of peel things back a little bit. You know, I, I've always believed too, not, you know, not just in leading by example, but as a coach, you also have to show the athletes that you care about them. You care about their development as athletes and about their development as, you know, young men and young women. You have to, you, they have to see that it's not artificial, that it's not just you're doing your job. You're not just trying to make money. It's not just your career that you genuinely care about them. And I think once they are able to see and feel that you care about them, then number one, then your praise kind of, it holds more weight, you know? So when you're telling them good job or, you know, whatever it is, that pat on the back means more because it's coming from a place of, you know, you, they know that you care about them as individuals. So I think that is, that's kind of the biggest thing when they're, when they are aware of how much you care, then they're willing to put it more on the line for you. They, they care about more about how you perceive their effort, so to speak. So I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, not only am I leading by example, but I really, you know, buy into, you know, helping them as individuals. And once they, they get a sense for that, I think they, there's a part of them that they don't want to let you down if you care about them and they want to impress you just like anyone. We're human beings. We seek approval. And I mean, if I don't think that someone cares about me as an individual, I don't really care about their approval either. But when I know that someone really cares about my development, I'm going to care and seek their approval more often. I think, I mean, 1000%, I agree with that. But which was always what made the, the, the metaphor of um, sport and coaching and playing the metaphor of work. You know, let's go to work and put, grab your lunchbox, put your hard hat on, you do your job, do your job. Right. Well, you know. In the in in that environment, I'm just I'm clocking in, and I don't care. I pay me, right? The 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 when I hire a plumber to come fix my sink, he doesn't care if I care about him, right? And and right. and I don't want him to, right? 
was, but <laughs> it's a it's a transaction. It's exactly. a transaction, and so I I never I I always it always rubs me the wrong way when we just say hey just do your job shut your mouth do your job because this isn't this isn't that kind of transaction. This is a this is a different deal here. Uh, that we're, that is it is one thousand percent contingent that kid's effort his performance what he's going to give you what he's going to trust you with is going to be contingent on how much he can believe that you have his best interest in mind and that's that's not the case you know and and i'm not this isn't a knock on the plumbing industry but but that's just <laughs> to, to just always yell that at a kid do your job well now you've made it you're an employee and i don't care about you and you need to get this done right and and they might give you what you want in that time period right then and there because which goes back to our survival it's just more convenient to not fight you on it but as soon as they can not have to give you everything they won't and and i think that that at that point we've failed them as coaches no doubt man um well take me okay so uh, for so for somebody to understand uh how this goes right because there's not there's not the the nfl there's not the nba or major league baseball in in wrestling right Mm -hmm. so it is 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 the big show um the olympics yeah, so after, you know, college wrestling obviously, you know, is, is big and has gotten a lot more popular over the last few years. But when elite athletes, when they finish up their NCAA career, then for the ones who are really good, you know, the top of the heap, um, typically their goal is to start wrestling freestyle, wrestle internationally. And you have the Olympics every four years, but every year in between the Olympics, you still have a season and you have a, a world championships. Now the world championships are the same setup as the Olympics. It's the same way to make the team. So whether you make an Olympic team or a world team, it just depends on whether it's an Olympic year or not. But they go through the same, you know, uh, the same procedures, you know, to m- try to make the team. You have to end up being the best guy in, in the country at your weight class. And if you make the world team, if you know, it starts with the U.S. Open, which is like the, the championships for the guys at the senior level. But uh, so then if you end up winning the world trials or the Olympic trials, then you'll wrestle the other best guys from every country to try to win a world title or an Olympic title. And um, so that's what our guys that are the, you know, the best of the best, what they, what they, you know, stay on and do. And those are the guys that I train at the regional training center, you know, kind of postgraduate. And then for some guys there, the other option is to go into MMA, you know, because there, there's a lot of money in MMA. There's a lot of sponsorships. So you see a lot of guys, even guys that maybe weren't like super, super elite wrestlers, just because they have a great wrestling base, they end up going on and having great MMA careers. You look at, you know, TJ Dillashaw, um, you know, Frankie Edgar, even, you know, John Jones. These guys were, you know, D1 wrestlers. I think John Jones even just wrestled Juco, but these guys were great, you know, good wrestlers in that respect, but they were not elite, elite D1 wrestlers, but they become elite, elite fighters because of the wrestling base. Mm-hmm. So, those are kind of the two avenues. And then you have some other guys that go into coaching, but um, there's not the big, you know, unless you're, you know, Jordan Burroughs or Kyle Snyder, you know, where you're young Olympic champions and very marketable, there's not a lot of money in the sport. Like there is, you know, in a lot of other sports, which is probably why it's still so pure. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I think, you know, I think for in some respects, you know, a lot of the guys, they still do it for the love of the sport. But also, too, there's always this big debate in the wrestling community about, you know, showboating or guys that like talk, talk smack and try to hype up matches and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of the purists, they say, well, you know, that's disrespectful. You know, wrestling, it's all about respecting the opponent. You get your hand raised and you walk off the mat. You shouldn't celebrate or anything like that. And kind of the sentiment is among a lot of the younger coaches, younger athletes is like, hey, this stuff is good for the sport. Get guys get the general public interested in the sport by creating rivalries and get them interested in the personalities behind the athletes. If you want to grow the sport, there needs to be more money in the sport. If there's more money in the sport, there has to be more eyeballs. And the way you get more eyeballs on anything is by creating or may, at least making aware to the public, right. the storylines and the personalities behind the athletes, not just what they're accomplishing out there on the mat. Yeah. Well, I'm just glad you guys are still having that kind of, that kind of argument to is it okay to showboat because in football we've just that we don't even talk about it anymore you just (laughs) (laughs) you just do it and it's just it's accepted and it's nonsense and but uh yeah i but i i do feel that there is um there's a growing interest and like you said college wrestling and, and and the viewership it is on the rise do you think that's because people are just craving something that's that's just real is is there is there a thread that that wrestling pulls on with people because of just it's there is no there's nothing getting in between this it's just you and me um i i think part of that really does appeal to people i don't know if that's the reason why you know, the, the viewership is up. I think probably what has had more to do with it than anything has been social media. You know, when people become more aware of, you know, what's going on, you get to see a lot more of the matches, you see highlights, you're just going to become more interested. And also too, kind of like I already mentioned they people get to see the personalities behind the athletes. So I think that's kind of created a lot more interest in the sport. You know, I think even, you know, even buddies of mine that didn't wrestle. So maybe they don't understand the X's and O's quite as much they've kind of become, you know, maybe fans of the sport just from like getting to know who the athletes are through social media and seeing the way they train and seeing the dedication that goes into it and just kind of seeing the personalities behind them. So I think it's, it's a mix of things, but I think social media has been a big driver of it. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so you got, the, you, you got, you got a, a phrase here and you can see it all over your, your social media, your Instagram account, uh, gut check. Where did that come from? Um, You know, I think it was just one of those things when I started kind of developing my own style of training. You know, I kind of took, you know, a piece from here, a piece from there, a piece from there, and started kind of developing what I thought specifically the wrestlers needed. And I said, you know, at that moment when we have that choice, when we're doing conditioning or whether it's in a hard match, you know, when the chips are down or whatever, where we have have to choose between listening to that voice they want to tell us to quit or tell us to slow down or to you know just get over with it or to overcome that voice and listen to the voice that we've developed through our training in our head that tells us that no it is okay we will survive we can keep going i say that's the gut check moment there's it's a very pivotal moment yeah. it happens every day in training it happens probably every day on the football field when your athletes are out there there's a moment where you have to choose and that's a gut check and you know, so that's just kind of in the way I've you know branded my training and kind of one of the things I preach to my athletes is when that gut check moment comes, you got to make the right choice. And, you know, hopefully through through our training, you know, over 
you know, months and months and years of consciously making that choice, it starts to become an unconscious decision and we don't have to choose our path anymore. The path just kind of opens up. And when that gut check moment comes and we, our body knows which way to go. Well, that you, to me, that's exactly what meant. That's what toughness, that's what that means. And what you described was months and months of front loading and educating and discussing it and training it and building a new threshold for it to be able to understand and to listen and what you're not going to listen to. It's not screaming a desired result from the stands or from a chair over on the side of the mat because at this point they need to try harder or be tougher or whatever. And you're just yelling, be tough. Like, you know, I, 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 it really reframes how we kind of talk about toughness because I am 1000 all in with it's the most important thing there is, is that you're tougher than the other person. Because, you know, obviously in wrestling, it's just your will versus their will, but it's 11 guys over the course of 80 plays and who gave in to the other guy more over the course of those 80 plays. And so that, and, and that's how we, we kind of break it down for them. And it's just what, when we say be tough, what we're trying to say is you're, you're going to have to decide, is this worth it? Right. And, and, I, right. and it's, it's mental toughness is just our brain's chemi- chemical equation as to, is this worth it? Right. And what you like, you're, you know, it's, I've always said it's uh, there's a John Mulaney. He's a comedian. And he says, you know, thank you for being here tonight. It's way easier to not do a thing right then to show up and go to a theater and get in the car and do the whole thing right but every little decision i don't care how small it is or how large it is it's based off of the fact is this worth it right and if it's not we won't do it and if it if we if it's if we don't truly believe that it's worth it we will not give as much effort as we would if if we believed in it we'll do it so it's it's not worth the fight with somebody that's going to make us do something but it's not i'm not going to give the same effort or i'm not going to listen to the correct voice at, with the same conviction if i don't believe what i'm doing is worth it so i guess what and i and i i love that that's what gut check to you means so parents coaches if you're listening please stop screaming keywords (laughs) phrases and buzzwords at your kids and 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 tell them what it means and you're going to have to go through the process of convincing them that what you're wanting to get out of them is worth it (laughs) that's that's what mental toughness is to me Uh, and i would like you know please weigh in on what you think you, you know your take on it there's a million different definitions of it but to me it's as simple as we can water it down no i think it's i think that's really accurate man i mean it really just comes down to that you know that decision and i think that you know the way we can really increase our chances of making the right choice and choosing that it's worth it is like through our training and through repetition of putting ourselves in an uncomfortable position and the thing i you know the thing I, I always emphasize to my athletes, this is actually something I got, you know, some wisdom I got from a rap song. I, I find a lot of wisdom in, in music and in pop culture, but it's from this old song. I can't remember who it's by now, but the, the rapper, he says, every man gets scared when prepared for confrontation, right? Mm-hmm. And that always stuck with me because, you know what, there, there's not some, some time where you get so tough that you're not, you're not scared of confrontation. It's just a matter of what you do with that fear, whether how you, ch- what, how you channel it. Do you 
channel it into effort, into aggression, or do you let it turn into cowardice? Do you do you run and hide? You know, so I think that's kind of an important thing to know. No matter how tough you get, you still are going to have that same fear. It's just a matter of you know how you channel it, whether you decide is it worth putting the effort into it, or do you want to pack it up and go home? So, how do we? I mean, obviously, it, there's there's thousands and thousands of research papers written the the 10,000 hour rule and you know high high performance it's over the course of just years and years and years of just doing the same small things correctly consistently how do you you're 40 years old you're able to train at a really aggressive intense rate with your athletes and and that's a big way that you reach them how do we how do you not be the washed up guy that's talking about, you know, I used to be able to do I used to be able to get up every morning and run and then yeah, I had kids and then I, you know, I got married and I got fat and I stopped doing How do we play the long game of listening to the right voice? How do we stay in that zone? Well, I think I think the most important thing, you know, for us, you know, middle-aged dads is remember the past is over. You know, I never dwell on you know, what I used to do or what my numbers used to be, or, you know, I never talk about how I, you know, if I'm doing a boxing workout today, it's about my boxing workout today, not about when I won a golden glove title in 2009, because no one cares about that now. <laughs> so I think the most important thing is, you know, focus on today and your effort today and what you're going to do tomorrow. Because if you're living on the stuff you used to do, then, I mean, you're living in a, in a fake reality because that's not reality anymore. The past is gone. It's yeah. done. You can look at pictures, you know, or whatever. But other than that, it's it's over, man. So I think the long game is when you accept that the past is over, no one cares about the past. Your accolades from back in the day, it doesn't matter, you know. I mean, no one, no one cares that in high school I was only a district qualifier and I was a terrible wrestler. What they care about is now I'm training champions at the highest level of the sport, you know. Right. So I think if I was – trying to live on the fact that I had this decorated wrestling career 20 years ago, would I be as successful as a coach now? Probably not. So I just always emphasize to people, you know, especially when I talk to, you know, other, you know, middleweight dads that are in a, a position where they want to get back into shape. They want to do this. They're having a tough time getting started, getting motivated. I say, Hey, you only got to worry about two things. You got to worry about what you're going to do today, what time you're going to train and then what time your workout is tomorrow. And if you just worry about those two things day after day, put one foot in front of the other, then a year from now, things are going to be totally different in your life. Probably even a month from now, things will be totally different. So worry about today and worry about tomorrow because the rest is gone. Well, and I think that you, you just you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes we scoff at comically small changes in our life and they make such a dramatic change at a much faster rate than we give it credit for. Sometimes we want it like, oh, I'm going back to training, and, and you go out and you just kill yourself the first day, and then the next day you, there's no way that you can go do that again. And then you, you burn yourself out, and then you get discouraged, and then you, you just quit, right? And you're done, and you tap out, and then you, uh, you know, I suck, and there's shame, and all kinds of stupid stuff that wraps up into it. Um, but I think what you're saying about keeping your world small is the is – probably the highest likelihood that you're going to be able to continue to stay consistent in this life that you want how do you tell yourself the truth 
You know, I, I got, you know, how do you deal with um, a guy who's I, I I'm, I'm I'm such a believer in the power of self-awareness. Right. Like I'm 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 good at these things because I, I got this going for me. This is I'm a liability at these things. I need help with these things. But you, I, you the, the guys that are the hardest to reach is when everyone's perception of them is way different than the perception they have of themselves. So how do we tell ourselves truth? Well, I think, you know, as a human being. And, you know, as a man or, or as a woman, I guess, as anyone, you just got to be honest with yourself. You got to be honest about your, your abilities, about your limitations, about your shortcuts. You got to be, you know, or your shortcomings, I should say, you, you just have to be honest. You have to honestly assess, you know, um, what, you know, what you're capable of and whether what you're doing on a daily basis is enough, um, I think, you know, lying, to, lying to yourself and kidding yourself is not going to do you any good. Right. Well, it's no, it's proven it won't, but we do it. <laughs> we do it and we do it every single day or we try to, we excuse it. Or we try to blame somebody or we try to, it's almost like it just, that's how we make peace with it, with the shortcomings that we hate about ourselves in our life. But they, they're going to be the same five years from now if we don't own them. And you're absolutely right we have to be honest with ourselves one of those things that are simple they're not easy to do yeah no doubt man no doubt uh man i really really appreciate your time you've got some uh really good insight on things you're doing some tremendous um work with with the athletes that you're taking care of you're you're well respected in the things that you're doing and and i'm a fan just because you believe that things uh are supposed to be hard and i'm down with that so and that's not well, because thanks, I'm, I, I'm not a big tough guy. I just know that that's how you get things done. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I, look, guys. Well, I'm t- not... t- toughness, toughness is all relative. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know what I mean, right. I'm just. I always say, hey, my my tagline. I always say is, I'm a I'm an ordinary guy that gives extraordinary effort. I just try hard. That's all it is. I'm not some some big you know tough hard ass. You know, I'm just I'm just a normal guy. I'm just willing to try hard at everything I do. That's really all all it is. So, well, and that that's refreshing. You know, we're not. You're not trying to be a, a cartoon of a man of, uh, you know, macho and, and all that ridiculous stuff that we, we either nope. get, we either get guys that refuse to be men at all or we get guys that are they're like a Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, um, one, one or the other. So it, that's a refreshing take that you have on things. So how do we check your stuff out? How do people check you out? Yeah, the the easiest way is uh, my Instagram account. I put a lot of content, a lot of motivation stuff up there. And so it's at Coach Myers underscore Gut Check. Um, I think I also have uh, a Facebook page. I put some stuff up on there as well, and that's just at Coach Myers Gut Check. There's no underscore in that, but that, that's probably the easiest way. Um, I have my my ebooks available at OldSchoolGym.com. I have you know training plans for primarily for wrestlers, but I have ones for you know middle-aged dads and everything in between, you know, for guys to get in shape. I got stuff right now for, you know, with us being on lockdown or quarantine, I got home, home training eBooks and everything like that. So if you're looking for some unique workout ideas, follow me on Instagram. I'm always putting tons of content on there, tons of good motivation and, you know, teaching ordinary dads and athletes like myself, how to be extraordinary. Yeah. Awesome. Dustin can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for, for being generous with, uh, just your, your, your beliefs and, and, and how to get it done to, to build a lifestyle that we want to be, that we want to live. 
Thanks, man. I had a good time. I appreciate you having me on. So there you have it, Dustin Myers. Uh, check him out. Check him out on all his uh, social media platforms, um, some of the programs that he has going on, and I hope you had something to take away uh, to apply to your life, to your kid's life, to the relationship you have with uh, maybe students or, or athletes or people you're coaching, or your own kids, um, and, and how we can make each other uh, more accountable, sharper, stronger, tougher, and uh, not be idiots about it uh, in the in the meantime and how we do that. So, uh, as always, thank you to our engineer, our website developer, the guy that puts all this stuff out there for us, Patrick Davis, the owner-operator of the Fringe Coffee House and the pastor of the Fringe Church. Um, thank you to David Lessing, creator and performer of the Manchild Jingle for the intro and uh listen if you like what's going on here give us give us a subscription i don't you know give us a like give us a share tell us what's going on uh what you like about it what you don't like about it who you want to see on and let's keep growing this movement man uh you know if you if you if you like one of the things we write or we put out there or then uh please please share it there is no better endorsement than uh your friend's word of mouth and saying that this is worth your time, worth your attention. And uh, we appreciate you guys, man. And uh, I hope you, you're, you're hanging in there. And uh, I'm tired of saying stay safe, so I'm not saying it anymore, even though I want you to be. And um, we'll, catch you, we'll catch you on the flip side on the next episode. We've got a lot of stuff coming out in the next uh, weeks to months with this. And, uh, you know, struggle. Put yourself into something that's uncomfortable on a daily basis and uh, see what, see who you are in the middle of that, and, uh, and you'll feel better because of it, okay? Love you guys, and we'll see you, from, uh, we'll see you now, or I will see you on another time. All right? Bye. Oh, that city music. Oh, that city sounds. Oh, that city music. It's coming round